Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, November 9th. Coming up, solar power in Kansas is growing rapidly, but many rural communities are skeptical of solar developers. You know, they swoop in and swoop out. They're making tons of money. We'll hear why some counties aren't embracing solar and are considering stricter regulations for the energy source. Plus, Dan White and Brent Schondelmeyer first set out to document life and history in Independence, Missouri in 1985. I followed this brother and sister team around delivering the examiner. And as they're walking away, I shot this picture with a long lens and Kodachrome. The light was beautiful. Almost 40 years later, the two are back at work on the project. But first, some headlines. The Missouri Supreme Court is considering whether Medicaid dollars should go toward services provided at Planned Parenthood. Sarah Kellogg reports the organization does not perform abortions in Missouri, but it does conduct STD and cancer screenings and prescribe contraceptives. The hearing comes three years after the Missouri Supreme Court ruled six to one the state legislature must pay Planned Parenthood for treating Medicaid patients. Now the issue is again before the state's highest court. The state legislature in 2022 allocated nothing in Medicaid reimbursements for organizations like Planned Parenthood, which perform abortions in other states. Emily Wales, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Great Plains, said patients deserve to get care from the provider they choose. They need us to see Missourians because we don't have enough providers in this state. Uh, They just don't want to pay for it. The court did not indicate when it would rule. Three more Missouri cities voted this week to increase the price of recreational marijuana. KCUR's Sam Zeff has more. Voters in Park Hill and Platte County, plus Drexel and Pleasant Hill and Cass County, all overwhelmingly approved an extra 3 percent local sales tax on recreational weed. More than 70 percent of voters in each city approved the tax hike. They joined a dozen other cities, including Kansas City, Independence and Lee's Summit, in implementing a local sales tax on marijuana. The state already collects an extra 6 percent sales tax on weed, in addition to the regular sales tax. Some counties, including Jackson and Buchanan, Cannon also passed the extra 3% tax, meaning there are actually two local sales taxes on recreational weed. A pair of lawsuits is challenging that. The Kansas City Council will vote tomorrow on a measure to address the opioid crisis. Mayor Quinton Lucas's proposed legislation would create a contact tracing mechanism for people who've experienced an overdose. Lucas says it would also require health departments to report overdoses to local authorities. Too often we see this as just a law enforcement issue. I think if it's a law enforcement issue alone, then we fail and we will continue to fail. Deaths from drug overdoses have skyrocketed in Kansas City. We'll be back after this. Solar power in Kansas is booming, with hundreds of megawatts expected to go online in coming years. But many rural communities are skeptical of out-of-date solar developers and are tightening regulations as the energy source grows. Celia Hack brings us this story from the Kansas News Service. About 10 miles north of El Dorado, a break appears in the rolling cattle ranches and farmland of the Flint Hills. It's a different sort of farm, a solar farm. We're not anti-solar. I mean, we have a, a one megawatt here in our backyard that benefits 
our local residents. Terry Lomaster lives in a Butler County town that gets some of this electricity. At the same time, he and other locals protested earlier this year when a Chicago-based developer applied for a permit to build a new solar farm, a $550 million, 3,500-acre one. His reasoning? The existing solar farm is relatively small. Plus, it's run by a local rural electric cooperative. The employees live in the area that, you know, their kids go to school with our kids or grandkids. It, it's a community and they're part of it. But Lowmaster doesn't see why he should trust a solar corporation from out of town. You know, they swoop in and swoop out. They're making tons of money. The company withdrew its application this summer, but the pushback it experienced isn't isolated as production of solar power in Kansas is expected to increase 34 times over in the next four years. Communities across the state have a range of concerns about this growth, from aesthetics to the disruption of sensitive ecosystems to an unproven fear of groundwater contamination. Misinformation, especially around groundwater, arises often in resistance to solar. Joshua Pierce is a professor specializing in solar technology at Western University in Canada. He says 95 percent of solar panels are essentially made of sand. Only a small subset of panels contain cadmium, a toxic heavy metal. But Pierce says it's very unlikely to cause harm in the form it takes in solar panels. Even the cadmium telluride panels, I mean, you would have to try, like, you'd go out of your way to try to pollute the water with them. Still, some counties are responding with restrictions on solar. In August, Butler County passed regulations limiting the size of solar farms and banning them in environmentally sensitive areas. Sedgwick, Reno, and Harvey counties are considering whether they, too, need new rules. The resistance to and misinformation around utility-scale solar is frightening some state environmental groups. They worry it will impede a rapid transition away from burning fossil fuels, which cause climate change. Dorothy Parnett is with the Climate and Energy Project, a Kansas-based environmental nonprofit. The International Energy Agency tells us we should be building the world's largest solar array, which is over 2,000 megawatts every day worldwide for the next decade. We have to get off of fossil fuels if we're going to be able to keep a livable planet. But that's difficult if locals don't want solar. Some residents' frustration comes from the way the electric grid system works. In some cases, the power produced by solar farms can be bought by out-of-state utility companies, raising questions about why a community is generating power that someone else is buying. Nathan Stotler is with One Energy Solar, which is based in Seattle. He's working on a solar development in Butler County. You know, you, you live in a small town. It's, it's a pretty tight-knit community. And to have somebody come in from out of town with big money, proposing a big infrastructure project, and then to not even be able to say that the people in the town are going to get the power from that project, that, that's not a good look. But that's, that's the system that we live in. And so it's sort of on developers to explain that just because the electricity may not be getting bought and sold in the community, that doesn't mean that the, that the solar farm can't bring benefits to that community, right? Stotler says solar farms boost property tax revenue and pay locals to lease out their land. Sarah Dawson's family has owned a ranch in Butler County for decades. With inflation and a crippling drought, she says her family's business is increasingly unsustainable. So leasing to a solar company offered a way forward. But she says her contract with the solar company was canceled after Butler County passed its regulations. That's left Dawson frustrated and concerned for the future. We thought it would be it would protect the future generations. It was going to protect our land. 
but then they limit us on what we can and can't do. They're limiting us on how we can use our own land. I'm Celia Hack in Wichita. In 1985, a young writer and photographer duo embarked on a project to document life and history in independence. Almost 40 years later, KCUR's Julie Denache reports the two are back at work on new words and photographs of people living in the shadow of a president. For the last few months, photographer Dan White has been intently focused on a set of newly printed archival photographs in his West Bottom studio. This is probably my favorite image. White's photographs are large. He has to pick them up with two hands. On top of a stack of them is a picture of two kids walking down the sidewalk. I followed this brother and sister team around delivering the Examiner, which of course is the newspaper of independence. And as they're walking away, I shot this picture with a long lens and Kodachrome. The light was beautiful. These photos trace back to 1985, when White and writer Brent Schondelmeyer spent six months creating a National Geographic-style photo book that would tell the story of Harry Truman's hometown. It was commissioned by Barbara Potts, who was mayor of Independence at the time. I had been a reporter at the Kansas City Star, and I lived in Independence, so Barbara engaged me to do this, and I knew Dan because I'd done some prior work with him, and we basically went out and had the idea of trying to do a book that would tell the story of Independence. White, who was part of the Pulitzer Prize-winning team that covered the Hyatt collapse in 1981, spent that spring and summer taking pictures of basketball games, first haircuts, and local festivals like Santa Caligon Days. He even caught Ronald and Nancy Reagan out on the campaign trail. This is one of my favorite images of uh, the Reagans when he was president with Barbara Potts. Presidents love to come to Independence and get that Harry Truman aura. To accompany White's photos, Schondelmeyer interviewed residents and researched the town's frontier history. Throughout the 80s, Mayor Potts handed a copy of the book to every politician who visited. But today, it's out of print. So White and Schondelmeyer thought it was time for an update. A couple of years ago, Brent approaches me and he says, we should try to resurrect some of these images from 1985 because they haven't been seen for a long time. And I thought, yeah, that, that would actually be kind of fun, but let's go a little further. Let's do some new work to go with it. White's idea was to make a series of large-format black-and-white portraits of the people who live and work in Independence today. And earlier this year, he found the perfect light to make his portraits, near a bank of glass doors on the north side of Inglewood Art Center. So Schondelmeyer and White asked each person they photographed to bring an object that held meaning. One portrait shows Superintendent Carol Dagg, and interpretation program manager Doug Richardson from the Harry S. Truman National Historic Site. They come walking into the Inglewood Arts and they have a big archival box and then they pop it open and then they get out the white gloves and they had brought a cane that Bess Truman had given to Harry Truman on his 76th birthday. This is so extraordinary and so wonderful because you know, this is who they are and this is what they're taking care of, and they wanted to show that. With the project update almost finished, there was only one person left to show. Turn off the TV. How are you? Right now, at least two 
Can we come in? Barbara, how are you? At age 91, Barbara Potts still remembers her days as mayor and the book of photographs she wanted visitors to take home. I was so blessed to be the mayor of Truman's hometown because <laughs> people came there because of Harry Truman. And uh, we got to welcome an awful lot of dignitaries, international as well as national. And now, White and Schondelmeyer can send visitors home with a new book of photographs from the show. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Julie Denishay. The exhibit Click, Two Decades, One Community is now open at the Englewood Arts Center in Independence. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Anna Schmidt, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Celia's reporting on solar power in Kansas and Julie's story about the photography exhibit in Independence, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. If you like our show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.